everybody, and welcome to the Premier Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I have Josh Sponheim with me, and I'll have Josh introduce himself, and we're going to talk about the benefits of fall tillage. So, Josh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Sponheim. Uh, I'm an agronomic information advisor for Premier Crop up here in North Central Iowa. Um, I think this is my seventh season with Premier, so I've been here quite a while now. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Since we're going to talk about tillage, give us a little bit of background of, you know, your, uh, why tillage is so important to you and some of the background that you have. And it's probably not the fact that tillage is important. It's the lack of tillage that's more important to me and what we have uh, found on our own farm um, through the years. Uh, my father actually started strip tilling back in the early 2000s um, and continued to do that. Um, on our own ground, as well as um, having a custom business for quite a few years. He has since sold that business, but that, uh, but the gentleman that has bought that has continued to do a lot of custom acres. Um, up in our area, primarily uh, in Mitchell County, um, the adoption of strip till has been very large and probably due to the fact that there were three or four people that started in the early 2000s along with that that were pretty vocal about what they were seeing and what kind of benefits that they're really getting from reducing tillage and going to that strip till pass. Yeah, so tell us what are some of those benefits that you guys see? Probably one of the biggest benefits we've seen is you're only tilling a strip that's six to eight inches wide rather than tilling the entire soil surface which greatly reduces for us up here wind erosion that we tend to get in the winter time, especially if we don't have a lot of snow, a lot of snow cover. Now in other areas, um, the strip till would also help with water erosion as well, especially in the spring. But for us up here, it's, it's primarily wind. The other, uh, the other thing that we really like is we're um, knifing in or using a uh, coulter machines. We're putting that P and K fertilizer right underneath where that plant is gonna be grown that next year. So we're being very efficient with the fertilizer placement. Um, and what we've seen up here is we can start a guy with strip till um, that has been full of tillage and not see a reduction in yield. Um, so that's been the big benefit is when somebody starts doing, doing a different tillage method, we can maintain that same yield. And what we found over the years is Yields have actually started to increase on our own farms and some of these other guys that have been long-term no or uh, strip till. And then they've most of the guys that have been, that started back in the early 2000s up here have actually switched all their ground to um, no-till. Uh, so we've actually gone the full the full boat up here where we started when I was a kid. We were plowing still. Then Dad started doing the strip till, and now we are no-tilling the long-term fields that have been strip till for you know 10 plus years. So. Yeah, so tell me, the, why did you guys switch to no-till? Um, Dad did it for, or the switch to no-till uh, no is probably a push from some people around here just saying, you talk about how strip-till is always that transition phase from full tillage to no-till. Well, he hadn't switched yet. So we tried a farm, we split a farm in half, and it was night and day uh, difference. I think it was uh, 15 to 20 bushels difference in yield on the corn. Um, we saw better with the, uh, with the no-till. And I think that was because it was a drier spring. Uh, we conserved more of the moisture. And so we've since switched those farms that have been, had been long-term strip-till into no-till. There's a lot of talk and when it comes to soil health right now, and it's kind of a hot topic. And how, how does this impact soil health? The less we disturb that soil, the more we're going to improve that soil health um, by 
allowing the fungi to continue to grow in the long strands that we have in the soil, allowing the bacteria to continue what they're de uh, uh, degrading or trying to decompose in that area. Basically, um, try not to disturb their homes really is what it is. Um, and by doing that, then we get a larger population in the soil of those of the bacteria, um, fungi that are a good benefit to us. Not only do they help break down the prior crops, um, um, leaves and stock that we have left out there, but they're also mining and bringing some of that additional MP and K from deep, from deeper in the soil that our crops may not get at. Yeah, before we hit record on this podcast, I had asked you a question that um, when it comes to strip till uh, or just tillage in general was, you know, they were saying something about the combine and how a combine can affect how you should be tilling your acres. So can you explain the conversation a little bit that we were having about that? Sure can. So the big thing we're finding as these combines have gotten to the size they are today and we're running 45, 50 foot beam platforms or draper heads on the front of these things, we're seeing a real issue with trying to spread that crop residue out behind the combine the same width as the head. And if we don't get that accomplished, especially if we're looking at doing no-till, we're going in and out of different soil temperatures in the spring. We're right behind the combine where we have more, that soil's gonna tend to be cooler in the spring than on the outside where we didn't spread anything. Um, it's probably going to be a little bit warmer just because it doesn't have that layer on top and that sun is uh, hitting more bare dirt. So what we really like to preach um, is we need to spread the residue out behind the combine evenly the same width as the head. That way we have a uniform layer out there come spring that it's a lot easier to set the planter um, and move the amount or the right amount in the spring to keep that seedbed clean for us. Yeah, and you said that this is something that they can adjust. Correct. We are finding, though, as we get into the 45 and 50 foot heads, which we don't have a lot of those up here, of course, but in other areas of the U.S. where they do have them, it's it gets really tough to spread that far. And I understand that these guys are trying to be more efficient and take more crap out quicker. But then we got to remember what the implications down the road might be for us that uh, for that next crop year. Yeah. So how are you advising some of your growers that you're working with for some of these decisions? How do you tell them to strip till? How, how do you tell them to no till? How do you have that conversation? Um, it's different for every person. What we've learned is it is a complete mindset change. So that, that, that grower has to have interest in it. Um, if he doesn't, I'm not going to push the issue. Of course, I would love everybody to switch to strip till and then down the road to no till. But I understand that's uh, some guys aren't in that mindset and they want to keep doing things the way they have been doing. And it's not that they're it's always bad what they're doing, but I uh, but I think there's better ways from a long term st uh, farming standpoint to do things differently when it comes to soil health and keeping soil around for the next generation of farmers. So um, it's like I said, a mindset change and that, and that has to come from that, that grower. And a lot of times what it gets into is talking about yields, talking about what the cost of equipment is going to be. The nice thing in this area up here, we have a lot of guys that do some custom work. So guys can try it for a couple of years before they go make the investment on their own strip till rig, if it will be. Um, 
it's just a simple conversation and put kind of that bug in their ear and let them think on it, ponder on it. And usually about a year or two later, it, it, it transforms into a lot more in-depth converse, conversation on what exactly is involved in switching into those different, or those, whether it's strip till or into no-till or whatever it may be. So. Yeah. So after they've done it a couple of years, what kind of data, or do you have any data examples that you share with them that help them continue doing the, the type of tillage behavior that they want to continue with? I have all kinds of data that I can pull up from guys that have switched in the past. And like I mentioned earlier that we have never really seen a yield decrease when we switch a guy from full width, full width tillage to strip till. However, learned this with Premier too, of course, they want the the best is to see the data on their own farms. So we can start pulling that apart with Premier Crop System and, and say, um, no, this did not hurt us in yield. And maybe we even gained a little bit of yield. Uh, and this year with the dry weather we had, um, some of my higher yielding guys are the ones that have reduced tillage to almost nothing. Um, just because we conserved every drop of moisture we had in the soil in the spring, which was pretty crucial when we were, I think in this area, roughly eight inches of rain behind until August. From, from basically April 1 till August 1, we were way behind on moisture. And the guys that reduced tillage, you could definitely see it in the crop this year. So. Yeah, so I like seeing a trend that a lot of people are moving more toward this no-till. But and wouldn't that also help with like operational efficiency and you're, you're talking, you're not using your equipment as much. You're not harder on your equipment. What are some of those other benefits? It's yes, there's reduced wear and tear. Some of the other things we've noticed, um, especially in a wetter fall as our, what we call the soil transitions or changes for us. Um, it has more pore space. It has more structure. And in a wetter fall, we don't cut the ruts like somebody else that may be doing fall with full width tillage does. We may leave an inch or two print while, where they are sinking into the depth of their tillage layer. Um, so that definitely helps in the fall. But the nice thing with the strip till is, is you get it done in the fall and that's the last pass you do. You can come back and plant it and then spray. So it definitely reduces one or two trips out of that system um, for us to, especially if fuel continues to go up too, uh, we're burning a lot less fuel. Um, then when we make a trip in the fall with a ripper and we come back in the spring and, and we run the soil can, uh, or soil, uh, finisher on it. Um, maybe once, maybe twice, depending on how well it worked up. So yeah, we are definitely re going to reduce trips, uh, reduce fuel. We have reduced our equipment line here. What we have, basically we have a strip till machine and a, and a planter. Um, and I'm not saying tillage doesn't have its place because I actually had to go buy a disc because the on one of the farms I rent, they tiled and I had to work down tile lines. Um, with a strip till, that is one thing that doesn't happen. So um, I'm not saying tillage needs to be abandoned completely. There are times um, where it's needed, but uh, the more we can reduce it, the more off, or the better off we're going to be, I think, in the long run. So Yeah, and compaction too. What about compaction? So I was once told by a guy that had been long-term strip till and also was very uh, involved in soil health studies. He said, there is no piece of iron in the world that'll take out compaction that, that is put in by another piece of iron. We need mother nature to do that with our freeze thaw cycle, as well as um, the other thing we like to add into a guy's system as he starts to reduce tillage is cover crops and let that living root help bust up that compaction for us. 
Well, you just like segued into my next question of what I was looking for. <laughs> so did you like that? I, yeah. I, I, I tried to... crops? <laughs> yep. Yep. So for us, the cover crop game um, has been very important up here. Um, once again, for us, it's primarily probably wind e erosion we have up here rather than other areas of the state that are probably more for water uh, and where you have slope. Um, but for us, it's primarily wind. And there's some areas here, too, that will help with water, too. But the big thing is, is having a living root or living plant in that soil as long as we can. Right now, we miss out on probably five to six months where in a traditional system, we have no plant growing in that soil. And that soil doesn't like that. It is a living, breathing thing that we need to feed. And cover crops definitely add that. Um, what, in my mind, what I like to tell guys is we are trying to still produce um, high-yielding crops, corn and soybeans primarily in this area, but mimic the prairie as best we can. We're trying to, we're, uh, we're trying to go back to what we had before they broke the prairie. We want that living plant out there. We want different species of plants out there um, that add all kinds of benefits, whether it's bringing in different bacteria um, or it's just a different type of root structure out there. What, yeah, what type of cover crops are you recommending or are happening up in your area? Up in our area, um, there's a lot of people say you can't grow cover crops in north central Iowa. We're too far north. We don't have enough growing season up here, but we've been proving those guys wrong since 2012. No. We have learned quite a bit up here. There are a lot of species of cover crops that they can use in southern Iowa or other states uh, further south that we can't get to grow up here. Well, they'll grow, but we don't get a lot of benefit out of them because it's, we, uh, we don't have enough heat. So primarily up here, we've had very good luck with cereal rye. Um, it's kind of about as bulletproof as you can get with a cover crop. Um, it tolerates cold very well. It germinates in very cold soils and, and starts very quickly. Um, it'll actually grow on concrete as long as it's got sun and moisture. That's how tough the stuff is. So it works really well, whether we want to put it on with a plane, a guy wants to drill it. Um, it, it just, it very diverse on how well it works for us in a lot of different scenarios. And how well does that also help with weed pressure? If we can get a good, solid, consistent stand in the fall, since cereal rye will overwinter for us and we'll start growing probably the end of March up here if we get some war warmer weather, it is unbelievable what it does for weed control, especially the big one we fight up here um, is water hemp. And if we get a nice solid stand of cereal rye grown cover, it will basically knock that water hemp pressure back to zero. I'm not going to say it is zero, but it's probably less than 5% compared to if we were just going to leave it, nothing growing out there and we go and do our normal stuff in the spring. Um, and I have a couple of farms that's really bad on in the areas where I may not have the best stand of cereal rye. That's where the water hemp's at. Where I have good stands of cereal rye, there's not any water hemp there. It is unbe unbelievable how well it works for weed control out there. So that's another benefit too. Um, we've seen by reducing our tillage, we get the full benefit out of these covers. Because um, if you're wanting to put a cover on and then work it up, well, then we've just killed that plant or killed a lot of them, and we don't see that benefit out of it. So, yeah, yeah, and so. I'm going to go down this. Uh, I know that you're also passionate. I've talked to you before about just sustainability and this whole carbon sequestration conversation is a really hot topic right now. How does 
the strip till, no till cover crops fit into this carbon sequestration conversation? It all, that's about the only way that um, it's really going to work is by we need to reduce tillage um, because as we till ground, we actually release uh, carbon in the air as and that is from the organic matter starting to break down um, as the as we add more air to it it breaks down even faster and we and we release that carbon so by leaving that soil untouched or or not and i shouldn't say it completely untouched like we do with a strip till we just do a very small area and then between the rows we have areas that are are, are untouched and we are not uh, breaking down that organic matter out there very fast um, and we're pulling actually more carbon into that than we are going to release throughout the year. Um, cover crops just add another page to that or another layer to that because they are growing year round for us, especially if it's one like cereal rye that will overwinter for us. Granted, that plant isn't growing up here necessarily in the winter and adding leaf area or root, but it is still alive. It is still respiring. There are still microbes in the soil feeding on it. Um, pulling in carbon from the air. So it, it's uh, one of those things that to really get the full benefit of capturing that carbon, we need to reduce tillage and add some uh, cover crop to some degree in there. So we have something there all year long for us. And so how does this tie back to premier crop? All, all of this soil health, fall tillage, carbon sequestration, what, does, what can premier crop help a grower with? The carbon program that's still so new and it's hard to really truly understand where we're going to be at in five years with it um, on what we can track. I would say the biggest thing for guys and the, that are in Premier Crop is we have the ability to go back and query that that just that yield environment and say, here's what the strip till did, here's what the full tillage did, or even if you want to throw in a three-way and the guy tried the no no-till right away too. We have that ability to dig down and really come to a, a true yield on their farm on what system gives them the best return. And that's probably the other one too, is it's not necessarily at the end of the day, 100% on yield, but what their net return is. And as we reduce those trips, we have reduced costs. So we can give up a bushel or two on, on things and still maintain the same, um, income at the end of the year. And that's what Premier can really provide is those kind of numbers. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And since how many of your growers in, in your area are, are doing cover crops right now? Um, of the customers I have in Premier Crop, I would say probably maybe a quarter of them to a third of them are using a lot of cover crops. And then I have a few other guys that are just starting to play with them. Um, you know, they're trying to field here or there and seeing what happens with it. But that's a, and 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 that's not another thing I always push the guys I work with to do is it's not a one year I'm done. Um, we need to do this three or four years to get to, to really understand what's going on on your own farm and make a decision from it. Not just this one year I'm in and oh I don't think that works and then I'm going to try something different right away. We need to try this long term because it's a really a long term benefit the soil health and reducing our tillage out there. It's not a one or two year thing. It's a five to 10 year type investment. Cool. 
I, yeah, I agree with you so much in that sense, because I also feel like that has happened a lot with uh, some growers when it comes to variable rate with anything, with it, whether that's right. their fertilizer or their seeding that they tried it one year and they're like, well, I just didn't see anything. So it doesn't yep. pay. Why am I going to waste the money on utilizing the equipment that I have or getting a service? But I think it's so beneficial that you said it takes more than one year to see the benefits of it. You have to continue doing it at least two to three years to look at the data and then see what management practices you want to change or implement moving forward. Right. And that's the nice thing having Premier Crop in the background is we have that historical data already stored in the system and we can go back and query against it and see how things have changed over the last three or four years. So it, it just gives us that in-depth reporting and the ability to track things long-term too. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier in our conversation too, that it's not only for the growers operation, but we can also look within our query data set against a group, whether that be in the area, whether that be in the state, whether that be just you know, in, a, in a region uh, to look and see if those management practices are beneficial uh, for that specific field in that specific area. So that yeah. is correct. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate talking with you today and all of your knowledge. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we close? I guess not at this time, other than go out and try it and try it for three, four years. And I'm going to bet that uh, it'll surprise you what you find by trying some of these different things out there. Thanks for listening to the Premier Podcast, where everything agronomic is economic. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so we can continue to provide the best precision ag and analytic results for you. And to learn more about Premier Crop, visit our blog at premiercrop.com.